the Hamlet podcast. As we go through the sequence of episodes introducing the basics that might come in handy for reading and enjoying Shakespeare, I want to assure you that not every episode is going to begin with the letter A. This one does, however, and after antithesis and apposition, it feels entirely appropriate that we come to alliteration. Put simply, this is the literary device of repeating the same sound, usually a consonant, at the beginning of words. Even if you haven't heard the word before, I can promise you that you're aware of how it works. Just think of the following. American Airlines, Coca-Cola, William Wordsworth, Kim Kardashian and Fred Flintstone. They all start with the same sound in each word and they're names that you don't forget in a hurry. Alliteration is a terrific technique for demanding an audience's attention. It can even be funny. Very often you'll find alliteration used in tongue twisters because repeated consonants can be a challenge to pronounce. Think of your favourite tongue twister. Got it? It probably uses repeated consonants or alliteration. I'm going to read you one of the tightest and most condensed uses of alliteration I think I've ever encountered. If you're familiar with Gilbert and Sullivan, or you have ever done a group warm-up before a theatrical performance, you might know it already. To sit in solemn silence in a dull dark dock, in a pestilential prison with a lifelong lock, awaiting the sensation of a short sharp shock from a cheap and chippy chopper on a big black block. That little piece comes, of course, from the Mikado. I'll copy the text onto this episode's page on the website, and you can take a look at just how many different alliterations there are in this short verse. Our ears, particularly those of us who are English speakers, really respond to alliteration. We love it. Think of your favourite songs, film titles, proverbs, turns of phrase, and indeed tongue twisters. You name it. There will be some alliteration in there somewhere. But how might any of this apply to Shakespeare? Well, as I mentioned, it can be a useful means of getting an audience's attention. Sometimes it's worth thinking about the demands facing an actor standing almost in the middle of a crowd of hundreds of people, who were, by all accounts, rather less well-behaved than audiences today. They may not have had mobile phones, but they had no trouble letting an actor or a company know what they thought. So, sometimes, Shakespeare might weave in a little alliteration to focus their ears. In an acting workshop, I once had a teacher tell us that alliteration was a thermometer and that it tells you whether a character is hot or cold, thinking fast or slow. The more alliteration, the faster a character is racing through their thoughts, and the fewer instances we find, the more measured their thoughts might be. Of course, I'm not saying that this is a definite rule, but let's see how this might work looking at Hamlet's first soliloquy. Oh, that this too, too solid flesh would melt, thaw, and resolve itself into a dew. Or that the everlasting had not fixed his cannon against self-slaughter. Oh God, God, how weary, stale, flat, and unprofitable seem to me all the uses of this world. Fie on it, oh, fie, fie. Tis an unweeded garden that grows to seed. Things rank and gross in nature possess it merely. That it should come to this, but two months dead, nay, not so much, not two. So excellent a king that was to this Hyperion to a satyr. So loving to my mother that he might not beteem the winds of heaven visit her face too roughly. Heaven and earth. 
must I remember? Why, she would hang on him, as if increase of appetite had grown by what it fed on, and yet, within a month, let me not think on it, frailty thy name is woman, a little month, or ere those shoes were old, with which she followed my poor father's body, like Niobe, all tears, why she, even she, oh God, a beast that wants discourse of reason would have mourned longer, married with my uncle, my father's brother, but no more like my father than I to Hercules, within a month. Ere yet the salt of most unrighteous tears had left the flushing in her galled eyes, she married. O oh, most wicked speed to post with such dexterity to incestuous sheets! It is not, nor it cannot come to good. But break my heart, for I must hold my tongue. If you thought that Gilbert and Sullivan were good at it, you can start to see that Shakespeare knows a thing or two about alliteration also. There are a great many short bursts at the beginning of this soliloquy. Two, two, self-slaughter, oh God, God. For once, I think I prefer the folio's version of the seventh line of this, because it starts, fie on it, oh fie, fie. That's pretty extreme alliteration. It's an exclamation, a character who is very exasperated. Fie, fie, fie. Many editions go with the quarter and only give us two fives, but I think three is even more effective. Hamlet has been building up as far as here. He's letting off steam, furious at the situation. Right after this outburst of these fies, he checks himself, and the alliterations slow down. Tis an unweeded garden that grows to seed, things rank and gross in nature possess it merely. In these lines only grows and gross, maybe garden, suggest any alliteration. His thinking has been hot, and it seems like he's trying to cool down. He's having a hard time of it, and he keeps interrupting himself. And so we get, that it should come to this, but two months dead, nay, not so much, not two, so excellent a king that was to this Hyperion to a satyr. He's tripping over himself as he wrestles with the nightmare of his uncle marrying his mother. As he remembers his father, the alliterations calm down a little, and there aren't quite as many during the several lines that follow. But then he gets as far as his father's funeral, and how his mother, like Niobe, all tears, followed his poor father's body, and this brings him back to reality and the present. God, a beast that wants discourse of reason, would have mourned longer, married with mine uncle, my father's brother, but no more like my father than I to Hercules, within a month. Whenever you're working on a soliloquy or a speech from Shakespeare, it can be very useful to mark out all the different things that are going on. Within these four lines, we have a great many M sounds, mourned, married, my, my, more, my, and month. Any performer preparing to speak this speech will have to gauge how these might sound and what kind of a connection there might be between them all. Again, there's heat and speed and passion on display here, as evidenced by so many repeated sounds. Indeed, we get a final flourish at the end of the next couple of lines, where the last repeated M sound is married. By the end of the soliloquy, Hamlet has transcended alliteration. We just have this crash of consonants jumbled together. Almost wicked speed to post with such dexterity to incestuous sheets. None of it is specific alliteration, but you get a real sense that he's almost hissing with anger.
reaching the end of what he has to say, and then indeed realising that someone is coming, Hamlet wades out of these stormy waters with some more measured alliteration. It is not, nor it cannot come to good, but break my heart, for I must hold my tongue. We get not, nor cannot come, but break heart hold. And he's sort of slowing down as he goes. It's a really brilliant map that Shakespeare makes for the performer, as well as all of the other things that are going on. And indeed, you'll find antithesis and apposition in this soliloquy as well, and many of the other things that we still have to cover. But the alliteration alone, if you'll forgive me that one, really gives a sense of how to go through the speech. Of course, now your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to go and draw a map through the other soliloquies, charting how they might likewise use alliteration. Feel free to let me know how you get on. You can find me on social media, at Hamlet Podcast, and I'll be back this time next week with another instalment of The Basics. <laughs>